Hey friends, can't wait till Wednesdays to get your Modern Mamas fix. Join us on Patreon. You can choose your tier and when you subscribe, you'll get bonus content, early access to retreat, first peeks at new swag, plus shout outs and even real time monthly virtual hangs with us. Visit patreon.com forward slash modern mamas podcast to check it out and support the podcast. It truly means the world to us. We are so grateful for you and for this community. I love mama. Welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We're two modern mamas with the goal to inspire, empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. I am beyond thrilled to introduce a very special guest today that I'm not going to lie, I'm a little starstruck today interviewing Christine. I've been following you on social media and we adore your books. Evie's obsessed and it's just, it's almost surreal to get to interview you real time today for our podcast. So I will go ahead and introduce Christine Platt. She's a literacy advocate and passionate activist for social justice and policy reform. She holds a BA in Africana Studies from the University of South Florida, MA in African and African American Studies from the Ohio State University, and JD from Stetson University College of Law. My goodness, a believer in the power of storytelling as a tool for social change, Christine's literature centers on teaching race, equity, diversity, and inclusion to people of all ages. She currently serves as the managing director of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at American University. Welcome so much, Christine. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. I'm so happy to be here. It's such a joy. And this has kind of been in the works for a little while, but you've had so much going on and so many new projects and it's been really really fun to watch and now to get to finally have you on to share is really exciting for me I know and our listeners as well yeah yeah no we've been we've been trying to get this going for a while so I'm really really happy we were able to find some time to to chat and yeah I mean it's been it's been wild as you can see on Instagram A lot of books, a lot of writing, a lot of working with educators, and it's it's been really wonderful. Beautiful. Well, before we dive into all of that and learn from you, I, as always, I like to kick off with a fun question. So what was, you have a, a daughter, Nala, and how old is she? Oh my goodness, she is 17, which I can't even believe that. It goes by so fast. Oh my gosh. Incredible. I, I, you know, I have a three-year-old, and I imagine... It feels so far away, but probably going to feel like a blink of an eye. So as we're rounding out our summer here, which is kind of surreal to think about as well, what was a favorite memory from this summer with Nala? Ah, favorite memory from this summer. We've actually had quite a few, but I I would say like the of the quarantine when it was still all fun and games and we thought it was just going to (laughs) be for like a few weeks. Just early on, we just, we had so much time. I just like those first two to three weeks, just really being able to be at home together, cook together, go for walks together. 
laugh together. I mean, it was so wonderful. As your kids get older, I mean, they're away from you longer and longer. And her days were really, really long. I mean, I would drop her off at like 8.20 in the morning. She goes to a performing arts school and their regular work day or school day and work day (laughs) would be until five o'clock. And if they had rehearsals, like there were some nights where I wouldn't pick her up until like eight o'clock. And so for me, the most magical part of the summer was just really having that before, you know, we were all zooming and Skyping and doing all of those things, you know, it was just so beautiful and peaceful to just, to just be and, and enjoy my daughter. What a powerful silver lining from all of this. And I, and I know we've had a number of people reach out and say that they've felt something similar where even though COVID has been kind of heartbreaking and destructive in so many ways, there have been a lot of silver linings in terms of just time with the people that we love, kind of forced time that's actually been pretty profound. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to focus more on the the positive aspects of it. You know, I, I, I think when I find myself focusing on all of the heartache and challenges and all, you know, it just, it's just so overwhelming. And so I, I definitely had to make a shift when I realized that like, oh, this is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be for a while. And so, yeah, it's really been helpful for me, not only as a mama, but, you know, also, also with my daughter, just really trying to focus on like, wow, it's her senior year of high school and I'm going to be able to see her now more every day, engage with her more every day, way more than I than I would have if it had been her senior year and she weren't learning virtually, right? Like, it's more easier for me to focus on that than, you know, like, oh, my God, how are the two of us going to work in 600 square feet, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I can't wait to dive more into that, too, the whole minimal living thing, because my family, my husband and my daughter and I lived in a, a converted van for a year and a half and traveled the country. Mm-hmm. So the minimal thing is very appealing to me, and I find it to be really freeing. So I'm sure we'll get there as well. But but quarantine in 600 square feet, <laughs> mother-daughter with a senior in high school, I imagine that is a lot of fun, but I imagine there could also be a lot of, uh, I don't know, opportunities for growth, I should say. <laughs> ah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think every stage of motherhood has that, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and of course, it's much easier for me to look back on, you know, when Nala was three with a smile and, you know, fond memories. But I remember also being in the moment and being like, this is madness. This is madness. This is madness. <laughs> why, 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 why did I become a mother? This is crazy. You know, and I think it's so important to also have those honest feelings and thoughts and just like, whew, right? And so I think every stage, you know, offers its own, its own challenges, its own precious moments and memories. And, but I will tell you, when your child is 17, you will, you will look back on those, on those three-year-old years and just be like, oh my God, it was such, it was, it was just such beautiful, beautiful chaos, you know? Totally. So I'm like on the verge of tears right yeah. now, just thinking about it. Like I've heard the the word, I've heard the question why already probably 20 times today and it's 10 o'clock, but I know that I'll miss that so much someday. Oh yeah, you will. You know, it's so funny and and this might be helpful for some of the other mamas out there with, with young kids. (laughs) One of the things that Nala used to always say, I mean, she would say mama and preface mama before everything. Right. And, And I would just say like, say what you need to say. Like, you don't need to stop like mom, mama. And then like, can I have some water? Like, 
just ask and have some water. Anyway, so the, the whole mama, mommy thing would just drive me crazy. So I remember taking her to her pediatrician one time and, you know, she's like, how's motherhood going? I know it's tough. You know, you have those conversations. And I was like, oh, she just calls my name a hundred times a day. And I'll never forget her pediatrician saying to me, I have mothers who wish that they could hear their child call their name. And that always stuck with me to just remember those small blessings, right? Like in, in being annoyed and being frustrated and being, right? I would always just remember like there is some mama who would, who would love this <laughs> to be her quote problem, right? So yeah, just a, just a note <laughs> out there. For the mamas, right? Uh, I feel like now it's like a big breath because I, I couldn't agree more. And we've actually had two mamas on this podcast who who had babies who died at birth or just before. And so it, it all just sits so heavy with me. And like this is going off on a total tangent, but I don't think I'll ever after interview having those interviews and hearing those stories. Like there's not a day goes by where I don't tell Evie that I'm grateful for her because it is. It's, it's our yeah. our kids are such a gift that not everyone gets. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Ooh. <laughs> well, we got right in there. Sorry, uh, no, it's it's very... emotional. <laughs> it's good. I am a you big... You know, I just think yeah. like it's, it's this part of motherhood, you know, that part of motherhood that we don't talk about, right? And so, yeah, just always, I just always, that just always, always stuck with me. And I always tell mamas when I, when I talk to them, because we all have the same complaints when they're, not all, but many of us have the same complaints, you know, when they're younger. I mean, it is... <laughs> It's exhausting to get asked a question a hundred times a day, right? Or the same question a hundred times a day. And so it just helps to 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 put it in perspective sometimes. Just helps you get through those moments a little more. hundred percent. I appreciate that. It's, it's a good reminder every yeah. single day that we could all use, I think. Hey, hey, today's podcast is sponsored by Vital Choice Wild Seafood and Organics, the leading choice for fabulous, sustainably sourced seafood and a certified B Corporation. If you're anything like me, you spent way too many hours scratching your head in front of the fridge and researching safer, sustainable seafood options for you and your family. It's always led to analysis paralysis for me. Since I've started using Vital Choice to source our sustainable seafood, our immune supplements, and even other organic meats and food items, hello, bone broth, life has been so dang easy. Now I have canned and frozen options at my fingertips all week long. And I know without a doubt, I'm supporting my family's immune health at a time when it's most important. Right now, you can use the link in our show notes and the code Modern Mamas for 10% off one order of $100 or more. Plus, you always get free shipping over $99. Bye-bye analysis paralysis with monthly subscription boxes and cost-friendly sampler packs. We'll be eating amazing food from now on without ever having to leave home. Well, on that note, kind of diving more into your life and motherhood and, and what brought you to where you are now, if, you, if you'd be open to sharing a little bit about your life and your journey to doing the work that you do, studying what you did, getting all of your degrees and becoming a mama, we would love to hear. Sure, sure. My journey is wild, by the way. <laughs> my daughter was not planned by me or my partner at the time, but obviously it was divine timing and she was supposed to be here. But I actually got pregnant with my daughter my first year of law school. I was encouraged by many people, family and friends, and even some of the administration at the law school to like 
oh, you should take some time off or, oh, you should, you know, think about going back to school at another time. There's no way you're going to be able to do motherhood and, and law school. And I was like, well, let me just, I have to try, right? Because I also had this feeling that if I left school and didn't go back, that I would somehow blame my child, even though obviously it wouldn't be her fault. I, you know, there's like this lingering sort of resentment that can happen in those types of situations. So I was like, well, let me try first. Somehow magically <laughs> made it through law school. My classmates were amazing. And she, Nala kind of became like the law school baby whenever someone needed aromatherapy or, <laughs> or a hug. <laughs> For a snuggle after, you know, a hard exam. And so she ended up being kind of like all of our babies. Um, it was, it was just, you know, it ended up being a wonderful, magical time. Stressful, of course, but yeah, definitely worth it. So after law school, I'm, I ended up moving to DC, began a career in energy and environmental law. And I started in, in big law, which is, you know, like a, a one of the larger law firms, more demanding schedules. I remember Nala being a toddler and, you know, going to the office with me on the weekends and she would have like a little handheld DVD player at the time. I don't even, oh my gosh, I don't even think iPads were out then. So yeah, it was like a little handheld DVD player and she would sit under my desk, <laughs> watch movies while I worked. And I would just, you know, I would have my mo my moments would just be so mixed. You know, there would be moments where I'm like, I'm so proud of myself. I'm doing this, you know, and then there would be moments where I'm like, what kind of mother are you that your daughter is sitting under your desk watching a DVD player while you're working? And it's so funny when I ask her about that, you know, about those early years and just how crazy thing would, things would be, me being the last mom to pick her up from, you know, daycare all the time. <laughs> she has so little memory of that. She just remembers how much fun we had together. And I think, you know, kids are just so amazing in that way. So, you know, just uh, uh, another little lesson out there for, for mamas who are working mamas and who may not have the help and support that they need. So they have to kind of, you know, get creative and do things on, on their own to, to, to keep going. Yeah. Like, I, you know, they don't remember. All all children remember is just, you know, you making time and space and, and loving them. And so Nala spent a lot of <laughs> a lot of years not under the desk, but you know, coming to my coming to my office. I ended up moving to a smaller law firm as she got older and then moving into government, which I worked as a senior policy advisor at the Department of Energy under the Obama administration, which was magical. And I ended up I ended up leaving almost in the in the same time as his term was ending, as did a lot of my colleagues. It was it was just a magical moment in history and uh I will just, I will just never forget that opportunity. But I realized by then, like, wow, this might be a good time for me to take a break. And I started writing and one of my crazy friends challenged me to participate in National Novel Writing Month, which is held every November. And I wrote my first book, The Truth of just ended up changing my life. So I independently published it and I was still working at the Department of Energy at that time. And 
it just went crazy. And I remember like first hearing from family and friends and they would say like, oh my gosh, this book is so good. I'm learning so much. And you know, when you hear it from family and friends, you're like, are you serious? Really? Do you really think it's a good book? Like it's hard for you to, you know, it's hard for you to, hard for you to believe it. And then I started hearing from strangers. And then I started hearing from like teachers and, and, and faculty and people were just like, I've never seen a book that was written like this. And it's been so wonderful for me to, it's been such like a useful tool for me to teach history and culture, the history and culture and lasting implications of the transatlantic slave trade. And so I was like, wow, maybe I, maybe I did write a good book. Right. And I really didn't believe it until I actually heard from a couple agents and, you know, had some literary agents want to represent me. And I ended up signing with Emily Sylvan Kim, who is still my agent five years later now. And yeah, what was next? Yeah. So I guess I, I want to make sure. So sorry. So sorry. It kind of cut out a little bit when you said the title and I want to make sure everyone can hear that clearly. So it was, oh, I think that's my, my internet on my end, but it's the truth about a weedy. They pronounce it right? Yes. Okay. Got a Just in case right, you guys yeah. missed it who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you it's, for it's that. Awesome. Um, yeah. And so I thought I was going to be like, you know, this wonderful novelist. And I had set out to write my second novel, which was about the fate of Afro Germans during the Holocaust. And, you know, what's really funny is like the first book was fun and then the second book was work. <laughs> it just didn't feel the same. And I spent I spent some time really, really struggling with that manuscript. And it was in the midst of that struggle that my agent said, I know you said you don't want to write for children, but there's a publisher who's looking for a series focused on African-American history and culture written for early readers. And I was like, whatever, I'll try. You know, I was just in like this, I'm, I'm a youth, like, why did I even think I could be a writer? I just was really struggling creatively. And so I was like, fine, I'll try. And that ended up being the Anne and Andrew series. Oh, and we <laughs> so, love them. <laughs> isn't that the craziest story? Yeah. And so I was, I was actually at a writer's retreat and this is going to sound so glamorous even when I say this loud, but I was actually at a writer's retreat in Italy called the Lemon Tree House. And it was probably the first big trip that I took since my daughter was born. And definitely the first time I had done something like that for myself since she had been born. And it was just magical that I found out about getting the deal about Anna and Andrew while I was there. So, you know, there were other mothers there and they all celebrated with me. It was just, it was just wonderful. Um, but I thought it was just going to be four books. And as you know, we're now eight books in, six more being published this December. And we are currently in negotiations for six more, which is so wild. Well, that's so. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll be getting them. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's kind of my story. And then, you know, while I was writing was when I, I, I knew Ibram, Dr. Ibram Kendi from a book festival that he had done at my daughter's school when Stamped from the Beginning had first came out. And I'd saw, I think it was on Facebook or something like he was like, oh, I'm moving, we're moving from Florida to DC. Um, I'm going to work at American University. And, and I reached out to him and I was just like, hey, Ibram, you know, if, if, you and your wife need any help. Like I've navigated the childhood scene here. You know, if you need a volunteer at the center, 
you know, let me know. And he was like, actually, I need a managing director. And so that's why I ended up working at the Anti-Racism Center (laughs) in 2017. And, you know, I always joke that he pulled me out of retirement. And so, yeah, I, you know, helped him stand up the center. It was, it was a wonderful experience. And during that time, Anna and Andrew were just going crazy. And I started getting other offers for more children's books. And I was just like, wow, like, I don't think I can manage all of this. And, you know, I had a conversation with him and one of my other colleagues and was just like, you know, I've helped stand you guys up. It's time for me to transition back to writing full time. And our last hurrah together was the Anti-Racist Book Festival, the National Anti-Racist Book Festival, which was held in April 2019. And after that, I, you know, returned to writing full-time and many books, as you know, were written last year. Then in June of this year, Dr. Kendi left AU to form another anti-racism center at Boston University, and AU asked me to come back. And so I agreed to come back to serve in an interim capacity to help them, you know, get stood up again and, and find a new executive director. And so that's the space that I'm in now. So you're, you know, that's where you're catching me back at the center doing, you know, the important work of of trying to make our society, you know, anti-racist and, and also writing. And so that's my long story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful one. And it's really cool. It, it seems like there were just a lot of like the universe or God or, you know, at play offering up For opportunities, sure. but you, you know, with you manifesting them and, and, in the past. So it was, it's really awesome. And I'm so grateful for the work that you are doing and for the books that you're writing because we love them as a family. Sick of mainstream remedies that are packed with questionable ingredients and come with nasty side effects? Us too, which is why we've partnered with our friends at Beekeepers Naturals, a company founded on the belief that we shouldn't have to sacrifice our values to feel better. They're on a mission to reinvent the medicine cabinet and save the bees while they're at it. Products that benefit the people with true health and the bees and planet too. We at our house, this is Laura, use the propolis spray every day to support our immunity. And Evie can't get enough of the bee-powered honey. In fact, she asks for it first thing every single morning. And I use the Bee Chill Hemp Honey every day to help keep me zen. I also love replacing my afternoon cup of coffee with the Bee Elixir Brain Fuel. And we are stocked up on their new cleaner cough syrup just in case one of us gets a cough. You can get 15% off your order with the code MODERNMAMASNOW at beekeepersnaturals.com. I would love to talk a little bit more about the way that, you know, you talk about how storytelling is a tool for social change. And so coming off of the, the children's books that you're writing, I know this really hits home with our listeners who, you know, so, so many of us are mamas in search of ways to learn ourselves and then also to create social change that starts at home. So would you mind t- sharing, sharing a little bit more about like this, this component of your work? Yeah, so I always say storytelling is a tool for social change because storytelling is is and has been for many years, just been used as a way to sort of humanizing our experiences more, right? And and getting us to see opportunities where we're more alike than different, getting us to build empathy, right? And so I love using stories with children to teach that. And I think it's wonderful to, it's a wonderful way to sort of show them the world that we want <laughs> them to inherit, right? You know, it's it's one thing to talk about diversity. And then it's another thing to like show what diversity and equity and inclusion sort of look like in a book, right? And I feel like the more that we normalize that with our children's literature, with how we live our lives, 
you know, the more we're really teaching than just talking, talking about it. Right. And so I think it's so important for, for children to, to get a, to get a better view of, of what it looks like to live that rather than to just talk about it. So, yeah, that's what I try and show in my stories and, and, you know, leading from places of, of joy. I, you know, I talk about that a lot and, you know, you can teach history, you can, you can teach, you know, anything (laughs) and lead from, lead from a place of joy and, and rather than trauma. And so that's also really important to me. So, yeah. Well, you're nailing it. Evie always, she chooses yours when we, you know, when it's story time. So we have from the Anna and Andrew, we are Anna, sorry, is it Anna or Anna? I want to make sure I say that right. It's Anna. Anna. Okay. Yeah. We Uh have magic violin, new baby and perfect pet. And she keeps going for the new baby. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I felt, you know, it's so funny because even when I write the stories, I also think about, you know, the parents who are reading them, which is why even with like the perfect pet, I was like, they're not going to get a dog and they're not going to get a cat because I don't want, you know, all the babies asking, you know, asking mommy and daddy for, for, you know, Anna and Andrew have a, have a dog Anna and Andrew have a cat. And it's so funny because the number of pictures and stories that I get from parents that were like, so now we have a hamster. Thank you. <laughs> I think. <laughs> You know, which is is super cute. But yeah, I knew the new baby would be one that <laughs> kids would be like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I love those stories. And I love just like weaving in little historical moments, right? And, and, and you know, showing, showing inclusion on the page, right? And in the next books that are coming, I've introduced just a number of characters that will really reflect, you know, the full range of children's lives, right? We have, there's a character, Carter, who is going to be in a wheelchair. And we don't talk about, Car- you know, Carter being in a wheelchair in the picture. He's just in a wheelchair. And in the story, he is living, you know, his his regular life, right? And so I think like th- those sort of opportunities to use storytelling as as a teaching tool is just, it's just so powerful, so powerful to me. So powerful. And I personally don't remember having any stories like that as a child. And I love the way that you, you interlace these like very relevant, very current situations like a new baby or buying a pet or music lessons. But then, like you said, weaving in the history and there's just the kid, I I can just watch her wheels turning. And so I I still look forward to the next ones to come. Thank you for doing that work. Thank you. No, you're so welcome. I I really do consider it an honor and, and a divine appointment. And when I just look at how everything has aligned, you know, in my life, I know that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that in itself you know, just makes me look at the work in, in a very different way. And yeah, I, I, and I love hearing stories like yours. I love knowing that children are, are reading and learning and enjoying and like really getting these important lessons through a really fun story, right? It's not so much a, a lecture. It's just like, <laughs> this is life, right? And just showing what life looks like to, to little people pretty fun back to joy it's so awesome and then kind of a segue from there is you're also doing important work with literacy project which i'd love to hear more about that and that's a part of the no place for hate initiative correct oh yeah 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 so no that's what the so the anti-defamation league they have a program called no place for hate 
I, well, when <laughs> pre-COVID, what I would do is work with schools that are designated as no place for hate schools and provide trainings on diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, getting children to understand privilege and bias and, and, you know, depending on the age group, you know, bullying, all of these different things. And so, yeah, that's, I, I actually really miss that a lot because young people, they, it's so, it's so interesting how they approach the work. <laughs> they are just very much like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Right. What do I need to do if my classmate or friend is getting bullied? What do I need to do with this? You know, and when I do trainings and workshops with adults, it's, it's very much like, but what if, how about, but am I really, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just always this. <laughs> As opposed to being like, what do I need to do? Right. And so, yeah, working with young people on the, on those issues is really amazing. And, and it really gives me a lot of hope. Not to say that there's no hope for us adults, <laughs> but they definitely want a very, a very different world. And I, and I see them very much actively engaged in, in making that happen. I couldn't agree more. I feel like as a mother, that's my greatest opportunity. And that's where I myself see the most hope is like, and how I can help her, not just teach her because there's a lot that I can't even teach her, but how to help her keep a growth mindset and to seek growth always. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always. It's, it's so funny. I have this saying, you know, because oftentimes we're like, Oh, I'm grown or I'm a grown woman. And it's just like, you know, I don't ever really want to be grown. I want to always be growing. Right. And so I have this thing, like, may I always be a growing woman may I never be fully grown you know that's incredibly powerful I wrote it down because I'm writing down all the things and <laughs> this page is covered with notes <laughs> so thank you for that oh wonderful and so you work with children but then as you kind of just mentioned you also work with adults and you do DEI trainings as well and those are with can you explain a little bit more about that work as well yeah, I mean, those are, and, and, and really, really more so with children than, than working with adults. But, you know, my DEI, and actually for me, it's called Ready. It's Race, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And so I often do, it's like, you know, anti-racism 101 classes or, or sort of, you know, looking at, looking at the history and understanding the history and, and of race and racism. Race is a social construct, like, those sort of aspects of, of DEI work. And so, yeah, occasionally that's with, you know, smaller organizations, you know, schools working in that capacity. But yeah, right now, especially now that I'm back at the center, the focus is, is really more so on really working with empowering educators and parents. As you know, we just had our first state convening, which was amazing. We had over over 13,000 parents and educators and teaching professionals from around the world joined on that. Over 7,000 who attended that day and even more who watched the video. So we already had a number of educators. Uh, school was already in session for them. And so they registered to watch the convening at a, at a later date. Like those are the moments that are really powerful for me, especially when I think about this work, being able to reach a number of, of children and families in that way. And so, yeah, like it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. <laughs> like, so when I work with adults, I, I like to do an event like that or something like that, which is so, is so vast. And, you know, in, in those respects, when I work with parents and educators, you know, it also trickles down to, to helping children. And so, 
it's all part of my work and just wonderful. Again, very, I feel very honored and privileged to do it. We're so grateful. You know, I know this, this is not new work by any means, but there has been a shift as of late where I imagine it's felt, I mean, I can never speak for you or know for you, but there's been, I wonder if you've, if there's been more calls and if maybe more reaching out from more people with the, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and I guess the current reckoning or awakening for many who maybe, you know, are, are just for the first time seeking more growth. Have you seen a shift there? And, and I know that your, your move back to your previous role or new role, but previous place of work, was that at all spurred by this? I, I you know, I don't want to not touch on the current events and what's going on. And, and, you know, I just think it's important to kind of bring that to light? Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely seeing an, an increase in interest and more so just people wanting to understand sort of how we got here, right, which is why I really, really love teaching history and, and anytime, you know, especially when I'm working with older children and adults. I mean, I am a big proponent of leading with history because, you know, once you know the history, <laughs> Of this country and and of, of race and racism and and the true history of you know the use of slaves as labor in this country you really get an understanding of why we are where we are and how it's so systemic and so any educators who are listening or parents who are listening if you want to get a nice condensed historical timeline of that to just kind of use that as a framework, you can download the Empowering Educator series for free, including the guidebook, which is, you can find this on uh, firstbook.org backslash empowering educators. And in that guidebook, I wrote, I wrote the first section, which is step one, understanding the history. And so, yeah, that's for me, you know, you understand, you know, like I'm thinking of Black Lives Matter. And, and one of the things that I always teach is about the connection between Black Lives Matter and just the systemic history of police mistrust and violence. Right. And having that missing link for people. So getting folks to understand that, you know, prior to the abolishment of slavery, I mean, there were very few police units and jailhouses and, and, and these things and prisons in our country. And, and I believe originally the role of police officers, we know it today, was known as they were called the slave patrol. So you can look that up. After slavery was abolished, you know, the development of so many police forces, so many uh, Confederate soldiers who, you know, join these police forces, right? And so you get to understand more of the systemicness of, of what we're dealing with. And, and hopefully that sort of brings you to understand why we are where we are in the current moment. But yeah, we are seeing, I think, more interest and in, in real, really people just, again, wanting to understand why. And, and again, I always say, start with the history. Once you understand the history of race relations in this country, you, you have context <laughs> for why we are where we are. And context is everything. And, and, and hearing the true history is so important, too. So I so appreciate that. And we'll link to the Empowering, edu edu Empowering Education series in the show notes for this as well. So you all can find it there. Oh, that would be great. And then also, that would be great. 
make sure you're following Christine and <laughs> reading her books. And there's just so much to learn. I'm so grateful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, accessibility was a, a really big thing for me when working on that series and working on the convening and just making sure all of those things are free. And so I can, I, you know, also make sure you have a link to, to watch the convening, right? Because so much of this, the information is out there. It's just that it needs to be in one easy, <laughs> accessible place for folks. And so, you know, that's also a part of my work is like, how can we not only get the information out there, but make sure that it's, that it's accessible. So thank you for sharing. Of course. I so appreciate it. And I also super appreciate, you know, even sharing a lot on social media because you're doing a lot of really important work, but it is work. And it's, and so I I love that you also prioritize self-care and you recently shared about, you know, radical self-care and unplugging and resting and recharging and recentering and recommitting to your priorities. Yeah. And so. I just wanted to also touch on that because (laughs) to do the work you're doing, you also have to really, truly care for yourself. And I know there's a lot of listeners who could probably use that reminder as well, especially with just the state of the world and all of it right now. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that and your work as well. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. And I mean, you know, caregivers, I think we are, we especially (laughs) need to exercise self-care and, you know, there's just been, and I still don't know how this messaging has continued to persist, but just like this idea that, that parents are supposed to be, you know, self-sacrificing almost to the point to their own detriment and that, you know, there's some honor in that. And it, it took me, it took me a while to, to unlearn that behavior, right? To say like, it's okay to say I'm tying a ribbon on the door. And when you see the ribbon tied on the door, mama's taking a break. So don't come in here, right? (laughs) I'm going to steal that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, or just, you know, tell my partner, like, you know, listen, I just, I just need to, I just need to go walk around Target by myself. Like I just, that's all I need. I'm not going to buy anything. I promise. (laughs) But I just need a minute, right? And we're being honest. You know, I had so, I'm so blessed the village that, you know, my daughter and, and our friends and family are in. I mean, everyone was just like so super honest with being able to say, we're tired, we're overwhelmed. What should I do? Right. Or even, you know, I remember a big thing was, you know, the first child who asked for a cell phone, right? <laughs> the parents, oh, we all got all the, we're like, okay, what age are we agreeing on? Right. Cause whoever gets the first cell phone, everyone else is going to expect the cell phone at that. You know what I mean? And just like having a, a community was so, so helpful. But yeah, like you have to be able to be, to be honest about that. And, and that's a big part of self-care is being honest about what you need, what's not working and what you want to do about it or ask for suggestions about what you can do about it. That's such a good point. Being honest with ourselves before we have to be honest with ourselves before we can even ask for help from anyone else. And I think sometimes I'll catch myself lying to myself. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I I got this when some days I just don't. Yeah. Or, you know, just having like a very canned response, right? You know, like, oh, I'm hanging in there, right? Like, or I remember when I was younger, I mean, my my response was always like, I'd say like, how's it going? I'd be like, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired. And I would find myself, like it became such a canned response. I would find myself saying that even when I wasn't even tired, right? And so it's like, 
really being honest, someone asks you that question because that can be an opportunity to get some support that you need, right? Like taking time to think about what is being asked. All right, Christine, how are you? You know what? Actually, I have like three manuscripts due right now. So if you could follow, that would be great, right? Like instead of just being like, I'm hanging in there, right? Like be honest, right? And so all of those things are also aspects of self-care. And and for some reason, I just, I see and have found that women struggle with that more than men. My ex-husband's no problem. He had no problem asking for what he wanted, whether it was at work or at home or what. And I would just be like, you know, you just almost watch in amazement. Like, it's definitely something that, that women and, and mothers in particular definitely need to be more diligent about. And it's something that I wish I had been more diligent about when my daughter was younger. Yeah. Hi, friends. Laura here. Also, shroom lover. <laughs> if you've been following me for long, you know that I love myself some shrooms in the morning. And I am super excited that Four Sigmatic is now offering a really, really rad ground mushroom coffee with both lion's mane and chaga. It's totally shifted my mornings. I find that typical coffee leaves me anxiety prone, a little bit extra stressed out and feeling like I'm spinning my wheels, but not actually being productive. This coffee is very, very different. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. If you don't know, Four Sigmatic is a wellness company that is well known for its delicious mushroom coffee. So chaga is the king of mushrooms. And right now, chaga is actually my favorite because it's boosting immunity, it's making me feel good, and that in combination with lion's mane, which helps give me a brain boost, really makes for an awesome day. I'm super excited right now to let you know that we've worked out an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling, brand new Lion's Mane Coffee. This is just for the Modern Mamas podcast listeners. Because we love you, you can receive up to 39% off their best-selling Lion's Mane Coffee bundles. To claim this deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com slash modernmamas. This offer is not available on their regular website. Go to F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash modern mamas and fuel your your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. The full discount will be applied at checkout. Enjoy. Happy shrooming. I just got chills and actually just opened a text this morning from a friend because you're helping me, I think, better realize how much to cherish those kinds of friendships because a a friend texted me and said, checking in, how are you? What's happening around Mm -hmm. you? And how are you caring for you? And it just, it means so much because she knows that we're just in a season. And, and so it's like, for me, it's just hearing it, hearing that from you, it's such a reminder to cherish those kinds of relationships, especially now with a young child. And, and those are the friends that just stick yeah. with, just want to stick with through, through all of it. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I have, there's, and I actually, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you on Instagram, <laughs> but we have this little image that has, it's it, the, the header is, the title is like, you know, how are you, how are you feeling today? And then, you know, it may be like three hearts for I'm feeling great, you know, three red hearts, you know, three yellow hearts that, are, you know, like, um, I'm struggling right now. Yeah. But we have like all these different emojis. And then, cause sometimes people can't even articulate what they need. Right. And so, you know, we sent out that image and then, you know, I'll just say, just drop the emojis. Let me know how you're doing. And I'll get like, you know, if I get three orange hearts or whatever, it means like, you know, hey, can you give me a call? You know, or I'm doing good or I'm hanging in there. Right. So like just find ways to 
not only receive support, but provide support. And, you know, with the understanding that sometimes it is really hard for people to articulate, right? They may just need to drop three emojis and let you know. And it sometimes feels <laughs> exhausting just to, to type the words even. It's like, yeah. I, I have time to write like, four hearts, you know? Yeah. Or like, I just don't even want to like type it all out how I'm feeling. Right. You know, I'm really big on not only personal self-care, but also community care. And so really, really encourage families, especially now more than ever to, to have a community and to really, to really lean on them and know that there's no sort of shame in that, that, you know, more than anything, there's a blessing in that, right? Because there are people who have no one. <laughs> and so if you have a community of people that are that are there to support you, really, really utilize that. It's very important. So powerful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's kind of like a minimalist in a way way of responding to text without taking a bunch of our energy, which is uh, maybe a, a reach for me, but it's a good segue into I do want to <laughs> touch on <laughs> the Afro minimalism because I've, I've watched your TED talk on it and I just find it to be so awesome because you've taken this thing like minimalism can be kind of trendy. It's you see it far reaching. And as you mentioned in your talk, like uh, mostly those teaching about it's like white men or white people and you've taken this and really just made it your own and it's it's awesome you inspired me to wear this bright red shirt today for our interview <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> but I would love to hear a little bit more about that and the time we do have left about your shift into minimalism and how it's impacted your life and maybe your work and your relationships and yourself and others it's just I think it's a really powerful powerful shift that a lot of us could probably use insight into yeah, yeah. You know, I always tell people like, you know, you think like, oh, I'm going to become a minimalist. I'm going to declutter my closet and it ends up like trickling into every area of your life. Like there's no way you can just be intentional about <laughs> the clothing and shoes that you have and you not be intentional about every other area of your life. You know, as I mentioned in the TED Talk, I was a bargain shopper. It was out of control, Laura, like out of control. <laughs> and I look back on that, on that time. And I mean, you know, so much of that was, you know, emotional spending, right? Like, oh, I had to work a 16 hour day. These people at this law firm are driving me crazy. I'm going to go on Pottery Barn and buy a new comforter, right? You know, it would just, it would be like, instead of just being like, working 15 or 16 hours back to back is just too much, right? Like it would be, it was almost like this emotional spending distraction. I'm going to reward myself for, you know, everything that, I, that, I, that I've done. I also found because my hours were so crazy is that it was also a really big emotional spending spender with my daughter when it came to my daughter. So I found it really hard to tell her no about anything. I She was obsessed with Build-A-Bears and Care Bears when she was younger. And I can't even tell you how many Build-A-Bears and Care Bears we had. I mean, it was just madness. And it was just me just like, you know, guilt spending, right? Like just feeling guilty that no, oh, well, let me, I mean, I did have to work, you know, or she did have to sit under my desk <laughs> with the DVD player. Least I could do is buy her a pill to be But yeah, and so because of that, I ended up just like accumulating a lot of stuff. And it just felt like more and more and more and more and more all the time. And I was just like, 
I have to do something. At that time, I had came across Joshua Felix Melbourne and Ryan Nicodemus, the minimalist. At that time, they didn't have, what was that? They had like a, a movie out or a documentary out on Amazon. They just had a blog. And I think their book may have just been released. And I just remember thinking, like, this is what I have to do. I have to become a minimalist because <laughs> I just have too much stuff. But I knew that I couldn't live this barren lifestyle that I was always seeing, right? And so what I really try and do and show on my Instagram is, you know, less of the aesthetics of, of minimalism and more of the practice, which is intentional living, only surrounding yourself with those things that, that you need and love. I also find that it's much easier for children. So I get that question a lot, like, how does your daughter feel about being a minimalist? I'm like, kids love it, right? It's just all about the approach, right? And so if you tell a kid, you have way too many toys and way too many books, you just need to get rid of some, put them in this bag. There's a little bit more reluctance than saying, you know, there are a lot of kids out there who really don't have much and you have so much. Can you think of some things that, that you'd like to give them? They will break your heart with the amount of things that you thought that they really, really needed and wanted. And they will put it in a bag and like they'll fill it to the brim, right? Because they naturally lead from this place of compassion. And so it's a little bit easier for, for children. The other thing that I did when my daughter was eight, <laughs> and I think now that I reflect on it, I mean, maybe that was when I was first like, this is just, there's, she has way too much stuff for sure. Not really acknowledging my own hand in that <laughs> or that I had too much stuff, but um, it was, it was her eighth birthday and I'd asked her what she wanted. And I mean, she couldn't tell me a single thing and she just wanted to have a party and see her friends. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, you know, rather than all these kids bring over more things that she doesn't need or want. And, you know, you when people give you gifts, you feel more compelled to hold on to them. I was like, I'm just going to ask the kids to bring like a canned good to donate to our local food bank. When I tell you the parents, I mean, they, they just couldn't believe it. They were like, you know, I told them it just needs to be a can. They're in here raiding the pantry, you know, <laughs> like all of the kids bought like, bags of groceries, bags of groceries. Some of the kids made their parents go to the store. Like it was unbelievable. And they all signed a card for our local food bank. It was played in the backyard. Like we had a moon bounce and a snow cone machine and something. And, and like, even now she's 17. Like she was like, that was the best birthday of my life. The best birthday of her life. And I'll never forget the next morning when we took everything and, and it was, it was Bowie Interfaith Food Pantry in case anyone is curious I'm here in Maryland. And I just remember they had to bring out a shopping cart to just take everything inside. And I just, I just sobbed. Like I just sobbed, right? You see, you see parents, <laughs> you see families, you know, and I'm just like, how blessed and fortunate are we, you know? So I think also like using those sort of moments and like teaching tools, not only for, for our children, for ourselves about minimalism, you know, I talk about that in the TED talk as well, like paying it forward, right? Like 
donating your your own work clothes to maybe dress for success, right? Finding a community center that serves mothers in need, you know, to 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 get rid of baby clothes, right? Like there's just so many different ways that you can that you can get back. And 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 so for me, it, you know, it started with my closet, but it has trickled into every area of my life. I'm just super, super intentional. And so even, you know, I've received a lot of, don't you want to stay at the center and be the managing director? <laughs> it's like, actually, no, I don't. Like, I've been very intentional about my passion and dedication, you know, to teaching young people. And that's what I want to focus on, right? And there was a time in my life where I would have said, yeah, I probably should stay at the center, right? But like, you, it's, I can't explain how impossible it is <laughs> for you to only be intentional with one area of your life. So start with your closet and then watch your whole life transform. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm super inspired now, super even inspired more now. so. So thank you so much for your time. I am so grateful and I, I want to honor it. I know you're in the middle of some very, very important work right now. Like as we speak, when we first hopped on, you're writing like, the Afro-Minimalist hey. book right now. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to share much or anything about that before we, before we sign off, but I also want to make sure that I honor your time and allow you to get back to that work. But that manifesto is, it's a manifesto. Is that correct? Actually, I don't, I don't even know what it's going to be yet. You know, I will just say this, like I'm, you know, I'm writing the book in a way. It's almost like part memoir and part guidebook. And the goal is, of course, not to get everyone to become Afro-minimalist because that is what minimalism looks like for me, but to get them to understand how to create their own version and, and lifestyle of living with less Right. And so for me, that's Afro minimalism, but getting folks to understand what their own personal journey will look like will be and, you know, will, will likely be very different. And so that's really where I'm headed with it. And we'll see, we'll see what the title ends up being. <laughs> it was the original title was less. I don't know if that was taken. It switched to the Afro minimalist guide to living with less. And I was like, yeah, that's too, you know, so we're in that kind of space right now. I think today it's called the Afro minimalist, how less became more. And I'm kind of think I'm going to stick with that. I like that. <laughs> well, we'll be sure to share on, on, I'll share on my Instagram and also on the podcast platform as, as things progress and you start to share more because I yeah, can't wait to get my hands on it. Year. Yeah, it'll be out next year. So we won't have to wait too long. Beautiful. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christine, for coming on today and sharing your wisdom and voice and heart with us. I am so grateful to have had you and I look forward to seeing all the, the new books, the new projects, the new light you bring to the world. And uh, yeah, thank you again for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Laura. This was wonderful. Oh, I'm so I'm so grateful. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon working hard and hopefully resting as well. Thanks. You right, too. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. We will see you next week. Enjoy your week. And as always, we're so grateful to have you here. Bye. We don't know what to say. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Bye.